0: welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So again, Mark chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 7. And the word of the Sovereign Lord reads... And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. So here we are now um, in the 23rd part of our walk through the... um, Gospel of Mark titled, Following Jesus. And as we have talked about over and over again, the Gospel of Mark is a fast-moving, action-packed narrative that really focuses on what Jesus does and how he interacts with the world around him in his life and his ministry. And because of that, right, because it's action-packed and because it's about what Jesus does, it's an excellent book for us to study as disciples or followers of Christ, people who are growing to be like Jesus, because ultimately that's the goal. The goal is for us to be more like him. The goal for us is to do what Jesus has taught for us to do. And so if you, if, if you want to be more like Jesus, then studying the book of Mark is a good thing. Well, we now are at a part in this story that that has another major transition. Things are beginning to change again. Jesus is about to expand the reach of the gospel. It's no longer going to just be him preaching the gospel, but he is now going to send out his disciples into the world to do the things that he has been doing, which is preaching the word of God and and the gospel and meeting people's needs. And because of that, uh, today's text is particularly practical for us. See, as we've gone along through Mark, we've covered a lot of theological content. You know, uh, In fact, we've talked about the divinity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. We've talked about the sovereignty of God, that, that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, is in, in control. And we talked about the fact that if we want to be in the kingdom, that we need to exercise faith and repentance. But today, though it will certainly be theological, it will be very practical as well. Because, because as we talk about over and over again, we as believers... We are called to be involved in the mission of Jesus Christ. As Paul says, that Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. And because of that, we as believers are called to participate in that mission. Jesus himself tells us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, which means we're to go out and help other people become believers in Christ. And he says, Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means help them to get plugged into the church, the local body. And then he says, teaching them or training them to observe all I commanded you, which is to do what? Go out and make more disciples. And then he says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Every single believer, every person who is called Christian is called by God to be a disciple and to go out and do their part. And that is to be a mission Christ to participate in the life-saving eternity mission of Jesus Christ and that makes today's text particularly applicable to us because Jesus is now right in his story after about a year in ministry he's going to send out now his 12 apostles into the world on their first missions trip in order for them now to go out and spread the kingdom of God and there's a lot we can learn from this text but before we actually get into the text here Let's just be really, really clear about a couple things. In this text, we're going to see Jesus send out his 12 apostles. And we need to understand that at this point in history, Jesus had lots of disciples, but he only had 12 apostles. 12 people, that are specially commissioned representatives. And what we need to realize is that when the last apostle died, it was Apostle John, when he died, right, there were no more apostles, Right? Even though that today some people might put apostle on their business card, there are no more apostles. We might be disciples, but, but there are no more apostles. There's not been an apostle on the earth since the first century that was a specific office for a special time in history. Now, why do I mention that? Well, because in this text we're going to see some special things that are going to apply to us today, but we're also going to see some things in this text that are not going to apply to us. For instance, Jesus is going to give them authority to do, perform miracles—you know, authority that we just don't have. Right now, do I believe that Jesus will heal people? Yes, I do believe that. But do I believe that we can walk around touching people and healing them the way that Jesus did and the apostles did? No, because if you had that—if you had that ability, then you need to leave here and go to AV Hospital right now, right? Because there's a lot of people who need you. Right? The apostles were specially commissioned in a way that we're just not, right? Number two, this particular missions trip, you know, is, is unique and it is a it is a short-term missions trip that Jesus used to to spread the reach of the gospel through through the apostles at the time. Right? And and there's certainly principles we can learn you know from this trip that apply to us, but we need to keep in mind that Jesus is not telling us to all walk out of here today and simply with you know go somewhere else without a plan and without any extra clothes or without any any food. That, you know, that that's just not the call here. That is not what we're being called to do. Right? That is not the application that we need to, to make here. And, and I mention this because I have met people before who believe, you know, who are believers and, and, and they're shallow in their faith. Right? and they're shallow in their in, in, in their understanding of theology, and they're going to read a text like this, and they're going to believe that God is calling them to abandon their life, and abandon their job, and abandon their career, and abandon their family, and then get hit the road and go out with no resources and start telling people about Jesus all over the country. And, 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 I, and I say that because I know that from personal experience that they exist. They stop by the church here all the time on their way from one place to the next. They have no home, they have no resources, and they just expect that everyone's going to pay their way. Right? That is not what we're being called to do here. Right? In fact, one of the commentaries I read studying for this says that it is, not, it is inappropriate to assume that these are blanket guidelines for all missionary activity. The particular instructions apply literally only to the brief mission during Jesus' lifetime. And so so there are principles for us to learn here from this text, but there are things in this text that don't directly apply to us. That is why we must rightly exposit and rightly handle the Word of God in its proper context and then apply it to our modern context. So again, turn with me to Mark chapter 6, and we will begin in verse 7. And he called the twelve... And began to send them out two by two. Now what we need to realize is is that this is the culmination of something that Jesus began nearly a year before. Right? This isn't something that just happened. Right? This isn't something that that you know that, that Jesus just did like in, in two weeks. Right? This is something that, that has taken time to develop. Jesus didn't pick these guys up off the street and then give them a Bible and then send them out right away. Right? This took time. Jesus, first of all, called them. He then trained them, and then he sent them out. He called them, he trained them, and then he sent them out. You see, the call that he made to these men began nearly a year earlier. If you remember all the way back in Mark chapter 1, in verse 16, it says, of Jesus passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus called these men for this particular purpose. He called them to be part of the first group of people that would go out into the world and do what Jesus was doing, which is to preach the gospel. He called these men to be the first group of people that would go and and spread and expand the kingdom of God besides himself. He called them to be fishers of men. These men were called nearly a year before they actually were sent. And so Jesus didn't just send them out. He called them, but that he also trained them. Remember in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority and cast out demons. Okay, notice what it says. That they might be with him. They were there to learn from him. They were his apprentices. They were his disciples. They were his followers. They went with him everywhere he went. They paid close attention to the things that he was saying. They paid close attention to the things that he was doing. They listened to him Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, proclaiming the gospel and preaching the good news he witnessed they witnessed them healing Jesus healing people and casting out demons they watched him very carefully and how he interacted with people they witnessed him in his compassion and his patience right for, for people but but they also saw him with in his anger and frustration at those who refused to believe. Right. They spent a year practically, you know, and, and, and particularly learning from the master day in and day out. Jesus trained them. Now, this is the reason why this is important, is because in our modern context in America, there's a sense of, well, you really don't need any special training to be in ministry. You don't really need, you don't need a college degree, or you don't need to go to Bible college, or you don't need to have any. Because look at the apostles; they didn't have no training. Yes, they did. They spent day after day after day after day with Jesus Christ. To this point, it was a year. By the time Jesus leaves the earth, it's three and a half years of education at the hand of the master. Jesus trained them, and then he sent them out. Now, though we ourselves may not be disciples of Jesus directly, the pattern is still the same for us. We are called by Christ. Because those who who trust in Christ do so because because you're called by Christ. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ do so because he called and you heeded the call. As the Apostle Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Christian, you were called to faith in Christ. But not just that, you were also called to mission in Christ. We're called to a holy calling. We were called to be ambassadors for Christ. Every single believer, everyone in this room who calls calls upon the name of the Lord is to be on mission for Christ. But then we are also to be plugged into the church. Why? Because that's where you get trained and discipled. That's where the training and the discipleship takes place. As the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, which, by the way, is the, the text we derive our mission statement from, Paul says, and he, God, gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, the leaders of the church, to what? Equip the saints. Who's the saints? Raise your hand if you're a saint. Y'all need to raise your hands. If you believe in Jesus, you're a saint, right? That means he's talking about you, right? To equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. Everybody belongs to the ministry. Everybody belongs to, to ministering to one another. And what's the purpose of that? For building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unity of faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, which means it is God's will and purpose for you to not just be idle in the things you know, but to be growing in your understanding of who Jesus Christ is and who God is, to mature manhood, to spiritual maturity, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, to the point that you become just like Christ, so that we may no longer, notice this, no longer children. We're not to be immature the rest of our lives as Christians, tossed to and fro by the waves And carried about by every wind of doctrine or false teaching, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, that we need to speak the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way in him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, we are called and then we are trained. Right? We are to be part of the church family so we can be trained for a reason. We are to grow up for a reason. And that reason is so that we can be sent. Jesus says at the end of Mark, he tells us to go, therefore, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And this Greek word here is really interesting that gets translated as the whole cre- creation can be translated as the whole creation, or every creature, or more specifically, every one. We're to pl- proclaim the gospel to everyone. We're to proclaim the gospel to who? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What was that? Everyone. everyone, right? Everyone. And this is important because, because if you, because if many Christians, if you ask them, if you will ask a Christian, say, you know what, you follow Christ, What is God called you to do? You're going to hear all kinds of answers. You're going to hear them say, well, you know, I was called to love my neighbor. Well, I was called to feed the homeless. Or I was called to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. I was called this, I was called to that. Right? And believe me, I understand the intention of that. I understand the intention of that statement, but understand that is incorrect. That's not what you're called to. Okay? Those things Those are not callings. Those things are the natural part of the Christian life, right? Those are things like breathing, right? You're not called to breathe, right? It's just natural. Those are incidental. Those are the byproducts of being a Christian, which means if you're a Christian, you should love your neighbor. If you're a Christian, you you should naturally want to feed people that are hungry. If, If you're a Christian, you should naturally want to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. That's just part of the Christian life. That's not the calling. That's just part of who you are, right? So what is your calling? What are you sent by Christ to do? Right? What did he say go and do? He says go and proclaim the gospel to who? Everyone. Everyone. That is what you are called to do. That is why you're to be trained and that's why you're to be sent. Right? And that's the point of the trip that's here. That's the point of this text, as we as we will see. They were, they were sent by Christ. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Now, why two by two? Is that just an incidental detail or is that important? Well, actually, there's quite a bit to that. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, but let me just give you three quick observations of why that's important. Number one, the reason why he sent them out two by two was to fulfill the law for witnesses, that he was going to give authenticity to Authenticity to the message. The law says that every fact must be established by the testimony of what? Two to three witnesses. So he sent them out two by two so they could corroborate their testimony, what they saw. It wasn't what one person saw, it was what two people saw. You see, when you you read the Bible, everything that God says and does is corroborated by witnesses. I don't know if you realize that. Like when, that's the difference between Christianity and a lot of like faiths that claim to be Christian. Like there's no like lone angels that only talks to one person that nobody can corroborate. right? Like In, in the Bible, like, like God does things in public. For instance, when Jesus was baptized, who were the witnesses that were there? The Father and the Holy Spirit. Right? They were there. They were witnesses. When Jesus raised the young girl from the dead, who was there? Her parents and Peter, James, and John. Eyewitnesses. When 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 Jesus was resurrected, who saw him? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. Every fact must be established by two or three witnesses. That's number one. Number two, he sent them out to encourage each other. Right? They were going to into a difficult part of the world to do a difficult task. They were going to preach the gospel to a hostile world. Right? Let's face it. That could be something that's really that can easily discourage you, right? But two believers praying for each other, two believers preaching to each other, two believers encouraging each other could be a big help. It's important. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they will have good reward for their toil. Thirdly, he sent them out two by two for their safety. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The reality is, is, being a single traveler, someone who's on his own, could be very easy prey for someone who would seek to do them, to do them evil. That's why we talk about things like the buddy system. Right. But also having companion gives, gives a witness to a person's conduct. Because let's face it. Since the beginning of time, people have had their lives ruined by someone accusing someone of something that may or may not have happened. One accusation can ruin a person's life. We know that to be a fact. Having another witness around helps to preserve someone's integrity. That's super important. In fact, that's why we do what we do with our kids ministry. We make a point that there's at least one adult one teenager when they're, when they're children present. That we don't allow adults. And one child to be together. It's not that we don't trust them. is we want to protect them. We don't want to protect their integrity. Because two are better than one. So those are some of the some of the thoughts there. So it says, and he called the twelve. And they began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money for their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And And believe me, just... On this text alone, there's a lot that can be said, right? But, but I don't want to get wrapped around the axle as some people can on the details. What we need to realize is, is when Jesus sent these men out, is he equipped them for the task. He equipped them to do what they're going to do, and he equipped them in two important ways. Number one, the first way was he spiritually equipped them. You see, Jesus gave them spiritual gifts that they needed to cast out the demons and to heal people. He gave them the authority and the ability to do those things. Right? Now again, this isn't something for us to get hung up over because he equipped these men specially for this service. But understand, you were called to proclaim the gospel to those around you. And Jesus Christ will spiritually equip you individually for the task. If you say, well, I can't do that, I promise you you can, because he will give you the ability. He will give you the ability to share your faith. He will give you the ability to connect with certain people around you that you can reach. He will give you favor with people that you can't imagine he would give you favor with. Jesus will equip you for what he's calling you to do. Your job is to walk in faith. But I just don't know enough. I just don't feel confident. I just don't Fill in the blank there. Hear me. God will supernaturally equip you to share the gospel with those around you, and he will supernaturally equip you for the mission that he's calling you to do, whether it's at your workplace, whether it is at your school, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your own family, whether it's at the mall. Some people spend a lot of time there. I'm just saying. Even even cross-cultural missions. Maybe God's calling you to go on a short-term or even a long-term missions trip. God will supernaturally equip you for the task in your context. You may not be able to cast out demons, and you might not be able to heal people with, with, by touching them, but God will supernaturally give you what you need to do the calling that he's calling you to do. And so Christ supernaturally equipped these men, and then he provisionally equipped them. The word provision means he provides in other words, he supernaturally provided for their needs. He said, "Don't take anything extra with you. Don't take money, don't take food, don't take anything extra. Just go." Why? Because he's in control. He's providing for them. Now the point for us is that we don't we don't need not to prepare. Right? The point for us is to remember from this text that Jesus ultimately is our provider. Right? Not us, right? Not not not, not the government, right? Jesus is our provider, and that he will provide for us the things that we need in order for us to proclaim the gospel to those around us. And, and this is important because when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, many of us are going to approach this idea the same way that people will approach the idea of physical fitness. And I want you to bear with me on this. Right, you see, maybe you have, or maybe you know somebody who realizes, I need to do a better job taking, taking care of myself. Right? I just need to do a better job with that. And so I need to eat better, I need to exercise so I can get healthier. But the problem is, before they will begin to actually do that, they begin to make a list of things that they think that they're going to need before they even get started. Like, for instance, when it comes to food, they make a list of all the healthy foods that they need, I need, you know, they need to buy. Right? They need to get veggies, they need to get lean meats, they need to get healthy snacks, because you got to have healthy snacks, right? Right? And, and, and you need the, the replacement shakes that nobody likes anyway, right? that end up piling up and, and you need the supplements and, and, and they think they need all this stuff before they even begin to eat better not thinking well maybe what I should do is start with not eating those chips or that cheesecake, maybe that's a good place to start, no, right? we don't think like that, we think we need stuff. And then it's the same thing with, with exercise. You think, well, I just need a gym membership, I need workout shorts, I need new shoes, I need a, a brand new treadmill to put in my room that I can put my clothes on. Right. You've been there, right? I, I need I need, you know, I need new workout videos? I need ankle weights, I need that, that P something system or whatever they're advertising on TV. Not thinking that maybe, right, I don't have that stuff right now, but at least I could do some push-ups. I can at least go for a walk. Now I'm not saying that that the right kinds of food and gym memberships aren't good, right? But they just become an obstacle to us because we think that we need those things before we think that we can begin to make healthy choices. And it's the same thing with sharing the gospel with people around us. we tell ourselves, man, I just, I just, I need different kind of tracks for different situations because what if they ask me a question I don't know how to answer? Well, I I need a pocket-sized Bible with all the right places marked so that I can just turn with them and show them, right? Or, you know what, I just need access to videos so I can show them, and so when they ask a question I can't answer, I can just, you know, there it is, right? right? I need, no, 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 you don't. You don't need those things, right? You don't need those things. You just need to go tell them about Christ. That's what you need to do. And don't get me wrong, tracks are great, right and sort of videos and having a pocket bible marked up with the relevant verses right those are good things but you don't need them you just can share your faith with Christ right in Christ with people right and Christ will equip you to do it he will give you what you need in fact i know this to be a fact as a very new christian my brother you know i had a chance to witness to him and i didn't have my bible with me i didn't even think about it you know brand new christian i didn't have a tract never even saw a tract at that point right all I had was what was in here and in here, right? And all I could do was tell him about Christ, tell him the gospel and my experience with Christ, right? Now, we, we did go and sit in my, my, my car, and there was a CD of a pastor leading a prayer, but I want you to know, my brother was converted before he, he actually prayed a prayer. His heart was changed. He didn't need this fancy prayer. This guy was, you know, he could have just prayed whatever he wanted to. He was, right? So you don't need, you know, tools to witness to people, you just need to witness to people. Now, not to say that you shouldn't have tracks. You want tracks? We got them. And we're, we're ordering more and you can have them. Right? What, what you need to understand is what's implied in this text. Right? Is Jesus, when he's equipping these, these men, what he, what's, what's implied here is that we need to learn dependence upon Christ. Because ultimately, we are dependent upon him. If we're going to do what he calls us to do, Right, We're dependent on Him. We cannot do anything of ourselves. If we're going to do what Christ is calling us to do, we need to realize we're not going to walk in our own strength. We're not going to walk in our own wisdom. We're not going to walk in our own smartness. We're not going to walk in whatever we think that we have. We are dependent upon Him. In fact, Jesus tells His disciples in John chapter 15, one of my favorite verses, by the way, we are wholly dependent upon Christ. And so for us to do what, what he calls us to do, we need to, be, we need to rely on him. We need to depend upon him. We need to abide in him, which then means we need to continually be connected to him in prayer and in his word, which again is the, the broken record part of the sermon, which you've heard a thousand times. And you'll hear a thousand times more as long as I'm here until Christ calls me home. If you're gonna do what Christ calls you to do, you need to continually be depending upon him and you need to be connected to him and, and you need to connect with him through prayer and his word. So Jesus spiritually and he provisionally equipped these men for this task. And then he said to them Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now, I'm gonna be honest here. Like I read that text, I've read that verse many, many times in my Christian life. I've met, read it many times preparing for this sermon, and I'm like, all right, so what? Like, I mean, what does that mean? I, I mean, Jesus said it for a reason. Like, he wasn't just like, hey, he just said it. He said it for a reason. And I'm like, I don't get it. I mean, like, it seems natural to me. You go somewhere, you stay there. I mean, duh. Like, why does he have to say that? Well, then I read the commentary of somebody that's smarter than me, and they said that whenever they accepted hospitality in a home, they they were to lodge there until they left town, even if more comfortable or attractive lodgings were offered to them. The human tendency would be gradually to move up the social ladder as friendships were developed with more influential people. And then I was like, oh, I get it now. So there's a natural tendency for all of us to be comfortable. There's a natural tendency to want more and more and nicer and nicer stuff. There's a tendency to make even ministry about us. And even though that we may not be called to literally go on a missions trip or live in another country and stay in someone else's home, there are ways for us to think about these things and apply them to our lives. And the first thing that I think this can teach us is the idea of contentment. The Christian life. Should be marked by contentment. The Apostle Paul said, and I'll just read these for you. He, he, he's one of the greatest missionaries in, in, in the history of missionaries, going all over the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, you know, seeing all kinds of conditions. He says, Now that I am, sp- not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation I am to be content. And he says, I, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which, by the way, is the context of that verse. It's not about Jesus giving you the, I mean, the power to you know, run a marathon. It's that he can help you be content in all of your circumstances. The Apostle Paul further says, he goes, but godliness with contentment is great gain for what? We brought nothing into this world and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. <clears throat> In other words, you can't take it with you. We, as Christians, are called to a life of contentment. That's how we can apply this text to us. We should learn to live on mission for Christ, content with what God has provided us, So that we have plenty of resources to give for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to hear me on this, because sometimes people hear me on, I I, I get the feedback. Sometimes people hear me say something, and they go, oh, that means, and that must mean even saying, okay, I want you to hear me on this, okay? I'm not saying that we as Christians need to live impoverished lives, okay? Those are not the words that have come out of my mouth. We don't need to take a vow of poverty and give everything away that we earn. The fact is that it's okay and I think it's a good thing to have a decent place to live where you can raise your family, right? Where the roof don't leak, right? That that That's safe and, and relatively comfortable. That it's cool in the summer and warm in the winter and it's good in good repair. A place where you feel good about being hospitable with other people. I think we also need reliable transportation. We live in a mobile world. We go places. We have to go places. If you live in Boron, you ain't going to the doctor here. Right? right? You live in Boron, you probably ain't buying groceries here, right? We live in a mobile world, we need reliable transportation. You also need clothes, you need shoes. You also need, you know, to take time off. Sometimes you need recreation to where you can unplug and get your head clear. Sometimes you just need to spend some time with the family. And even technology, even technology is important in our modern context. You just can't escape it. Right? As much as you might try, as much as you don't want social media, every one of you, every one of you has got a phone somewhere, whether it's hooked to the wall still, right? or in your pocket. Right? And, and, and that's okay. That's the world we live in. But let's be honest. Even though those things are okay, Christians, we struggle to be content. When it comes to comfort and stuff like, and, and money, most of us live like the rest of the world lives. We're continually looking to acquire more and more and nicer and nicer stuff. We're continually looking to upgrade our lives. We're continually looking to accumulate stuff and things. And we spend just about every nickel that we can get our hands on and we spend it on us. Very little that's left over truly makes it to what's important, which is the mission of Christ. And I'm not just, not saying this to just say this. Well, you're a preacher, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. No, I'm going to talk statistics now. Statistically speaking... The fact is that the average American, you know, a Christian, a person who confesses Jesus is the Lord of their life, right? when it comes to supporting the kingdom of God and the work that he does, gives on average 2.5% of their income, which means they're keeping and spending 7.5%. Now, I wanna put this in perspective here, okay? Historically speaking, during the Great Depression, when we're talking about severe economic hardship, Okay, Historically speaking, giving was 3.3%. So in our affluent society, Christians give less percentage-wise. Right? They keep and spend nearly 98% of what they earn for them. Brothers and sisters, that is, that's not contentment. Now again, I'm not here to pretend that I understand every person's economic circumstance. Everybody's in a different situation. Everybody has a different... <clears throat> Uh, you know, situation with their bills and their income. I don't know what the, all those things are. Right? But I do know, I do know that we are all called to take part in Christ's mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And we're to do that with our time. We're to do that with our talent, the gifts that God has given us. And we're to do that with our material resources. And the fact of the matter is, is it takes financial resources to spread the gospel. We right here at First Baptist Church support 13 missionaries around the world. 13 people that are actually actively spreading the gospel around the world. And we, what we do is we made a commitment. We take, take, we take 10% of everything we bring in here right off the top, and we give that to missions. It costs money to support them, um, them sharing the gospel around the world. Now, the question that, that I would ask is, how much more could we do if we learned to live as Christians in, with greater contentment and increased our regular giving? that's what we're talking about. Regular percentage giving. How many more missionaries could we support? Or how much better could we support the missionaries that we have right now? Or how much more could we accomplish here at First Baptist Church if we had the resources to, to pay additional staff like a youth pastor or, or, or maybe a, um, a daycare director or even just office and, you know, and clerical staff who can handle the, the day-to-day administrative stuff that just sucks up so much time? How much more could we, we get done, and 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 I want you to know like this isn't something I'm just I'm just talking about like I I live this I I take it seriously and personally. Kim and I made a point many many years ago, right, that we were going to give ten percent of our income. But we were going to actually tithe, and so uh, it, so that was just what we decided to do. That we were going to God we're going to give you the, the first ten percent, and then a few years ago, you know, God put it on our heart to increase that to eleven percent. So 11% of everything we bring in goes first. And the reason why we do that is because we have adopted a lifestyle that puts the kingdom of God and his mission, the mission of Christ, first in our lives. We live relatively modest lives, and we give as much as we can because because we are sold out for what Christ is doing in the world. We're sold out for his, his mission, and we are content with what God has given us. Now, please don't get me wrong, right? There there's stuff we want, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of firearms for sale that I would that would I like to add to my collection, right? There's there's fishing poles and, and, and I mean, there's lots of stuff, right, that I would really like to have, right? But we prioritize the kingdom of God first in our lives, and each time our income goes up, so does our giving because we don't want to fall into the trap of always thinking that it's about our own comfort. First, we want to keep our eyes on the mission of Christ. Jesus didn't want his disciples to become focused on their comforts. He wanted them to rather stay focused on the mission that they had of spreading the gospel. Verse 11, he says then, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, if there is an expression in the Bible that's weird, that's it. Okay, think about this. Jesus is saying that if they will not receive you, they won't listen to you, then shake the dust off your feet. What? What do you mean? What, what does that have to do with spreading the gospel? I, I, what's the connection there? Well, this is why... Understand the context is important, because you need to understand the cultural context here, what Jesus is saying in the cultural context. You see, in that Jewish culture, it was a common practice for devout Jews as they traveled through pagan lands, when they were about to enter back into their home territory, when they were about to enter Jewish territory, they would stop at the border, and they would shake off the dust of their clothing and their shoes, because they did not want to bring anything with them from the pagan lands, not even the dust. Right? They didn't want to bring anything into their homeland that would defile their homeland. They were like, that's pagan, that's not. That is ungodly, that is not. There was a distinction being made. So that's what what he's communicating here. One commentator says, for the Jews, heathen dust was, was defiling. And he further notes that, that the significance of the act here was to declare that this place to be heathen and to make it clear that those who rejected the message you know, must now answer for themselves because now they've heard the gospel. Or in other words, Jesus is saying, go and preach the gospel. If they reject you, right, then they have brought judgment upon themselves, which then tells us two important things here. Number one, Rejection to the gospel is to be expected. Now, this should go without saying, I would think. I mean, because we watch and we read here in the text that Jesus preached the gospel and people believed it and other people rejected it, right? We see it happen to Jesus. So think about it. Jesus, the greatest preacher of all time, preached the gospel. Some re- accepted it, some rejected it. Now, again, this should go without saying, right? But I mention this because I think sometimes we get caught off guard by this truth. Right? Like when we when we finally decide we get up the nerve to share the gospel with someone and they don't receive it we're like that wasn't supposed to happen as if it's some out of the ordinary thing that just happened brothers and sisters rejection of the gospel is normal it is normal Paul says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing it's offensive to those who don't believe. The gospel makes no sense to those whose hearts that have not been changed. It was because the gospel that Jesus' family thought he was nuts. It was because of the gospel that Jesus was arrested and killed. It was because of the gospel that the apostle Paul was, was whipped and in, in jailed many times, that he was taken out of the city and stoned and left for dead. It's because of the gospel. He was, jail- he was in prison twice, and the last time he actually had his head cut off because of what? The gospel. Right? It's because of the gospel that every apostle except the apostle John was tortured and martyred for their faith. Rejection of the gospel is, is par for the course. It's normal. So if you go tell your coworker about Jesus, and they go, well, that's about the stupidest thing I ever heard, just understand they're not doing anything That you shouldn't expect. That's normal. Because the unregenerate person, right, they will reject the gospel. Remember, the gospel is is the seed of life. And unless that seed falls on good soil that's been changed by God, a heart that's been changed by God, it's not going to grow and it's not going to bear fruit. Satan's going to come and pluck it away. That's why, right, we say don't take it personally. That's why we tell you don't take it personally. Your job is to sow the seed and make it grow. I mean, you're, I mean, excuse me. Your job is to sow the seed. You can't make it grow, right? That's not your job because you can't do it. Only God can do that, right? So when so when when somebody rejects the gospel, just understand this to be expected. And then number two, something that many might well, might surprise some of you, is the fact that the gospel brings not only salvation, but it also brings judgment. Not a very popular thing to say. But it's the truth. It brings salvation to the ones who receive it by faith, and it brings just judgment on the ones who reject it. That's what Jesus is saying here. When they reject the gospel, and they right, shake off the dust off your shoes, is a testimony against them. A testimony that says that they have hardened hearts, that they're unbelievers, and that the wrath of God still abides on them. It's the truth. That's what Jesus says in, in John chapter 3. Now, when I say John chapter 3, everybody's imagination immediately goes to one verse. 16, right? It says, well, how's it go? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. Amen, hallelujah, close the Bible. That's where you, that's where you stop, right? Okay? <laughs> But, but you need to realize there's more to what Jesus says. Okay, he continues on in verse 17. He says, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed the name of the only son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. There's the word. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The gospel brings both salvation to those who believe and judgment to those who don't. And so as we go out into the world proclaiming the truth of God's word to people, and as they reject the message, And if they're mean to us and rude to us and and tell us we're bigoted, homophobic, stupid, dummy heads, what we need to do is simply shake it off. That's a good way to apply, I think, that that metaphor right there. We need to shake it off. And remember that God is the one who saves. God is the one who saves, not us. Our job is to sow the seed, love the people, pray that God would change their hearts, not give up on them, and not take it personally when they reject the gospel. Because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. And it's to be expected. It's like getting mad that the sun came up. It's kind of a normal thing. Now, does this give us cause to be rude and sarcastic and abrupt? You know, I try to share the gospel with them. I mean, I got like three lines and they shut me up. So they're stupid. You know, shake off my shoes at them. No. We're not... To go out of our way to be to be jerks. And that in fact, actually, we're supposed to do everything in our power. Everything in our power to show them the love of Christ and, and, and to, to tell them the truth of the gospel. We're, that means we're to be patient. If there's a word that God's working on me, is that one. Patient. We need to be patient and compassionate and gentle. And if they reject it, then after all that, then we're to. To walk away with our consciences clean. I think it's a good way to apply that, right? To have a clean conscience. Because we did what we're called to do. So Jesus calls his apostles. He trains them up. He equips them spiritually and provisionally. He breaks them up into teams. He encourages them to be content. And he sets their expectations the right way about rejection. And then he sends them out. And it says, and he sent them out. Excuse me. And it says, and so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So the first thing I want you to, to notice is the fact that they actually went. Your notes say the actually went, but it's supposed to be they actually went. It's one of another reason why I could use some administrative help, but <clears throat> um, but that might seem obvious to you. But this is a really profound statement. Jesus said, "Go." And they went. You see, the thing is, is if you're a Christian, you are called to proclaim the gospel to everyone. You are called to proclaim the gospel to who? Everyone. Have you gone? Have you gone to share the gospel with everyone around you? Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who died on the cross to set you free and give you the righteousness that you need to stand before God without fear, Jesus, the Lord of all things, said to go. Have you gone? But the answer for most Christians is, is no. They haven't gone. Well, why not? Well, I just, I don't know enough. I don't have enough Bible tracts. I just, stop. Right? Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Depend on him, right? Well, you know what? I just, I just don't have, you know, So much time, like I'm so busy with this and I got to attend to that and I got this. And Jesus said, wait a minute. He says, focus on the mission. Focus on him. Make him a priority. Well, they just, what if they won't listen to me and and they think I'm stupid. And Jesus said, rejecting the the gospel is, is normal. So Jesus in this text basically has taken every one of your and my excuses, objections, and he has done away with them. So why then haven't we gone yet? He said to them, go, and they went. The second thing I want you to notice is is that that it says that they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now this right here is is really kind of a shorthand expression. You know, it's kind of like the economy of reporting, so to speak. But it's a shorthand expression that connects what Mark is saying here about them to what Jesus said in chapter 1. And what he said was about, about Jesus, you know, is that Jesus said, The time is now, the kingdom is here, repent and believe the gospel. And that's essentially what the apostles were were repeating, the same message that Jesus was preaching. The time is now, the kingdom is here, repent and believe the gospel. They preached the message that Jesus preached. But I want you to notice, they preached to people that they should repent. And it's important that that word is there. And what this tells us is they didn't soft-pedal the gospel. They proclaimed the entire gospel. And the reason why this is important is because there continues to be and has been from the very beginning a temptation to soften the gospel up. To make the gospel a little bit more nicer. To make the gospel a little bit more palatable. Especially today. I went to a church for many years, even as a Christian, and I never heard the word repent. Not one time. I mean, I heard over and over again, you need to believe, you need to believe, you need to believe, you need to believe. I heard that multiple times, but never did I hear them actually say, repent and believe the gospel. Why? Well, because nobody likes to hear the word repentance. Nobody likes the idea of giving something up for Christ. Nobody likes the idea that I actually have something I need to repent of. I mean, shoot, we're just good people with good hearts who occasionally make mistakes we just need jesus to come down here and clean us up a little bit no we're broken sinners with hardened hearts who need to be radically transformed by the grace of god and when and we hear the gospel we need to repent and turn away from our sins and we need to believe and turn towards christ in faith And the proof that you actually did that, the proof that you actually moved to faith in Christ is that you will continue by the grace of God to live a life that is marked by continuing repentance and continuing faith that's that's revealed in your continual belief. Which, by the way, is the message that has been repeated in the last six chapters of this book. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached repentance. Repentance, And now these, these specially commissioned apostles, were they preaching? Repentance. They did not soft pedal the gospel and neither should we. In fact, of all the notes that you're taking, if there's one that you're writing down. This is the one I would really like for you to remember. It is our job to proclaim the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. It is not our job to make the gospel more palatable. It's not our job. It's not. You might be tempted to, but it's not. Every heresy known to man always begins as an apologetic to make God a little less what he is. The gospel absolutely brings hope, but it also stings. The gospel without question brings great unending joy, but it also brings conviction and tears. The gospel... For those who receive it is sweet and it's sad to the soul, but for those who reject it, it is offensive. And don't get me wrong. Again, because I don't think it's productive for you to put on a sandwich board like, and stand on the street corner and shout at people and tell them that they're a bunch of devil worshiping perverts going to hell. I don't, I don't think that's helpful. Like, you know what I mean? I don't even think that even qualifies as loving. I mean, that's really kind of like, you know, in your face. But the fact is, we are to lovingly share the gospel with great compassion and great care and great understanding, but we must share the whole gospel nonetheless, which means we need to talk about sin and hell and repentance as well as heaven and hope and faith. In fact, the good news of the gospel makes no sense unless you understand the bad news. Faith makes no sense without repentance. And so they didn't soft pedal the gospel and neither should we. And then it says in verse 13, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. Which means that they were compassionate to the people that they they encountered, and they met their needs. See, not only did they preach the gospel, but they performed missions of mercy. Now, obviously, a regular part of your ministry isn't going to be casting out demons and healing people on the spot like the apostles did. But absolutely, there are lots of things that Christians do in order to love people and shine the light of gospel in their lives. right? We call those things ministries of mercy. We should do those things. Like feeding people, right? building homes for the homeless, visiting the sick, right? and those in the hospital. We should be a shoulder to cry on. We should be good counsel for people who need it. We should help those who need overcoming addiction. We should help people with, over, with, with difficult things like moving or painting their houses. Right? We should contribute to homeless shelters and, and support groups and addiction recovery homes. There's lots of ways for us to be involved in, in, in ministries of mercy and to love the people around us. And, and lots of Christians, they love to do these things because they feel productive and they feel like they're making a difference. And it can feel like it can feel like that they're really expanding the kingdom of God, but we must keep this in its proper perspective. First of all, these men just like Jesus, did their miracles in order to validate the message. They didn't just do miracles to do miracles, right? They didn't do it just to be nice. I mean, they certainly were compassionate, but they did it to validate the message because because that's the purpose of miracles. The purpose of miracles and the purpose of our ministries of mercy is to validate the message of the gospel, which means missions of mercy must always include at some point the gospel. Otherwise, you are wasting your time. And I know that that might sound harsh to you. Some of you might not even like me saying that. right? But it's the truth. Because missions of mercy, and even the miracles that were performed by these men and Jesus themselves, are what? Short-term they're short term solutions to problems. Problems that are gonna come back or problems that will be replaced with other problems. You ever see somebody get all their problems solved and never have any more problems again? Right. You feed someone today, what's gonna to happen? They're gonna be hungry tomorrow. You help someone with their marriage and get their, their, their stuff back on the track, what happens next? Something happens with their kids they gotta deal with. You heal someone of cancer, only for them like five years later to die of a heart attack. Every person, I want you to think about this, every single person who was healed of any type of infirmity, and even the people that God, that Jesus raised from the dead, right? Every one of those people that Jesus and, and these men touched are dead right now. So whatever they did was short term. Think about that. Ministries of mercy by themselves, without the gospel, only solve short-term problems and leave the greatest problem a person will ever face, which is the wrath of God hanging over their heads, undealt with, which means ultimately it's a waste of time. Now, some of you might not agree with that. You might even say, you know what? It's not a waste of time because I care so much. It's not a waste of time because I love them. The Bible says that you need to love your neighbor and even your enemy, so that's what I do what I do. The Bible says that you're to weep with those who weep, and, and, and you're to be there for those in need. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> I understand the emotion behind that statement, but I need you to hear me on this very clearly. You making yourself feel better about helping someone, but not sharing the gospel with them, is not loving. It's not. Because why won't you share the gospel with them? Well, because well, well, I'm, I'm scared. Well, well, because they might get offended at me. They might not want to talk to me anymore. I'm just not comfortable with that. I don't want to make things weird and make them uncomfortable. So what you're saying is, is you helping them that is about you? Then. It's about you feeling better. It's about you being appreciated for what you're doing. It is about you feeling like you've done something. It's about you not being uncomfortable then. It's about you not wanting to experience rejection right after you've offended someone by telling them the truth. Brothers and sisters, that is not loving. That is selfish. That is motivated by self. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. Even the atheist... Penn Gillette, who is the foul-mouthed magician, even he understands that. He said, right, if you really believe that there's a such thing as eternal life, how much do you have to hate someone and not tell them about it? Because he understands, right? If you really believe it, then the loving thing to do would be to do what? Is to tell them. I mean, if you had the cure for cancer, would you just like keep it to yourself because you wouldn't like, bother somebody with it? Now, don't get me wrong, okay? please. I'm not saying that those things aren't good to do, right? They are good things to do, but what I'm saying is these things are the things that atheists do. You you realize that, right? That there are atheists right now who feed hungry people all the time. That there are atheists who who operate sobriety groups. There are atheists who work and volunteer in this community right now to meet people's physical needs because they, they care about other people. Atheists do that. So my question for you then is what makes them different from us? And the only thing that makes them different from us is we have eternal life to share with them. We have the gospel to share with them. We have the truth that the root of our greatest problem isn't that we're good people who occasionally do bad things, but rather we are broken, lost, depraved people who only do the good that we do by the grace of God because He restrains us from being as bad as we want to be. And, brothers and sisters, I know for a fact that there are things that you want to do that you, you just don't do, but if you could, you would. And because we're depraved and broken like that, we are at, at odds with God, we are His enemies. And every one of us has an appointment with him. We will stand before him. We will all die. And one day he will will pronounce judgment upon us. God must punish sin. Why? Because he's holy, righteous, and just. And if he doesn't punish sin, he is not holy, righteous, and just. Which means we're in trouble. And what's worse is we can't do anything to, to help ourselves. Our good deeds will not outweigh our bad deeds. It doesn't work that way. And so we're hopeless. That's the bad news. But the good news is God made a way for us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the earth, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life that you couldn't live and died on a cross to pay a penalty you couldn't pay. And on that cross, He took upon Himself your guilt and your shame and your sin and bore in His body the righteous wrath of Holy God that you deserve. And in return, He gives to you the righteousness of by His grace, the righteousness that you need so you can now stand before God without fear, not one of His enemies anymore, but one of His family. And all you need to do is repent and believe. Jesus died on that cross. He was buried, and three days later, physically rose again from the dead, proving that He is what He claimed to be and that He can do what He promised to do, which is to save you from the wrath of Almighty God. And again, all you need to do is repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. And your sins are forgiven. They are wiped out. They are no longer. They don't exist anymore. As far as the east is from the west, they are forgiven from you. And you have become forever a child of God. And no matter what happens to you in this life, whether it's sickness or poverty or violence or death or even your own success, No matter what happens, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we will one day spend eternity in his life-giving presence forever and ever and ever and ever with all people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That is the gospel. That is what we have to offer them. That is the solution to their greatest problem. And it is unloving and and selfish of us not to share that with them. So now we've looked at Christ's calling, training, and sending out his apostles, and we've seen him go. And yes, they did ministries of mercy, but they boldly proclaimed the gospel. Now with that, right? what do we do? How do we apply this in light of that? Well, there are four applications I'm going to leave you with this Mother's Day and get you out of here Sue. So you husbands can go barbecue some steaks. Right. I know that's what I'm doing, so... If I got you in trouble, I'm sorry. (laughs) But the first application is we need to obey and go. We just need to not make excuses anymore. If you're a believer in Christ, you are called to the mission to save sinners. And so you need to go out and get trained up and you need to go. If you don't have the training, talk to me. We will help you get trained. Understanding Christ will provide for you what you need. Right. You and I need to stop making excuses and we need to go tell people about Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to proclaim the whole gospel, not the watered-down version of the postmodern world. You know, a gospel that, that's about entertaining people their way into faith. We're not here to call people to try on Jesus like like a, a new pair of jeans. Right? We need to tell people about the, the good news. And the good news begins with the bad news. The good news means not simply believing, but repenting. And then number three, we need to to remember that loving people includes the gospel. Yes, we need to actively love our neighbors and do ministries of mercy. We need to meet people's needs. Look around in this community. There are people who are in great need Right? There's, if, you, if you need somebody to love on, believe me, you don't have to look very far. There's a lot of that in this community. We need to be compassionate, but we must not neglect what they really need. And what they need more than anything else is they need Jesus. Your family and your friends, what they need more than anything else is they need Jesus. Jesus. What what this community needs more than anything else, more than economic prosperity, more than more law enforcement, more than, you know, whatever people want to say that this community needs, and what it needs more than anything else is Jesus Christ. What this state needs, oh my goodness, what this state needs is Jesus. And what our country needs is Jesus Christ. It's like that song we sing, hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Why? Because... Christ is all you need. What we need more than anything else is Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to we need to prepare ourselves for people to reject the gospel. And when they do, we just need to shake it off. We need to be okay with it. We need to be, still be able to love them. And okay, all right. So you call me a jerk and you know and bigoted. That's fine. I can take it because I kind of expected it anyway. We need to understand that this is they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. And one day they will answer for that. Our job isn't to save souls because you can't do it. Right? Only God can do that. Our part is to what do we say? Sow the seed. Love the people. Pray for God to change their hearts. Not give up on them. And if they reject the message, then we just need to add to that. Shake it off. So let me exhort you, let me let me challenge you today to be obedient to the call that you know that God is so if you ever come to me and say hey pastor I'm just looking for what God's will for my life is, well this is one of those moments God's will for your life is to go out and proclaim the gospel right? so let me exhort you right, to go and be obedient and pro- proclaim the gospel in the community around you and God promises he will be with you and he will equip you and give you what you need let me pray for you Heavenly Father, Lord, okay, I surrender, I submit to this. This is what you call us to do. We need to stop letting our emotions get in the way. We need to stop worrying about what other people think. We need to stop allowing circumstances to dictate what we're doing. Father, the world is dying and people are stepping off into eternity without knowing you, Lord. Shame on us if we will not go out and do this. Father, convict our hearts of this, and then not just that, Lord, strengthen us for this, and encourage us for this, and embolden us for us this, Lord God. Write on the tablets of our hearts the words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And Father, that you would raise up a people in this church who were willing to go out and do exactly that. That we would go boldly and proclaim the gospel to every person we come in contact with. That the word everyone would be written on our minds and our hearts. That we would share the gospel with everyone, 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 Lord. We would do that, Lord. That it would be the cry of our hearts, Lord. That we would go out and storm the gates of hell and rescue the captives for your glory. Father, strengthen us and embolden us for that. Bless this little church today, Lord, and all that are here, and bless all the moms, Lord, that are here, and that you would comfort them and strengthen them, Lord God, and bless them as they as they enjoy the day. Thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.